0: We're in chapter 3, verse 8 through 10. I'm going to read verses 8 through 13 and then um, talk about it. So, chapter 3, verse 8. I did an introduction to this section last week, so we don't have time to go back and review it, but we'll pick up with verse 8 in a moment. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, now get this, this is something. The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. Have you ever heard the term, passing the buck? That's what we've got. Okay, let's talk about those few verses for for just a minute. Eden, the Garden of Eden, was the special place of God's presence on earth, much like later on the tabernacle and then the temple in, in Jerusalem would be. God was there. It was his earthly palace, so to speak. And when the first couple heard his steps, uh, it was a sacred sound. They had heard it many, many times before. And until now, they had heard him joyfully. But now, they are filled with dread. Fig leaves are not sufficient to hide from God. So Adam and Eve... Decided to try to hide among the trees. And what a pathetic dis- delusion for anyone to imagine that it is possible to hide from God. Have you ever tried? Remember what the psalmist said in the 139th psalm. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become a night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. Just a reminder, we cannot hide from God. And we know it. We know that. We know it in our hearts Yet how often do we perhaps like Jonah seek to flee the presence of the Lord? Unbelief spurs the delusion that we can be where God is not. And uh, in this these moments that we've read about paradise was lost. I've tried to run from God. I doubt I'm alone in this room in that notion, Uh, I I surely had enough sense to know that I couldn't run from God, but it didn't keep me from trying, uh, even as part of my testimony, moving, taking a new job that required me to move from Dallas to Houston, under the assumption that if I went to Houston, God wouldn't be there, (laughs) and that he would leave me alone. Uh, But... That didn't work. Obviously, you know the rest of the story. But in the in the text, God comes in the cool of the evening in the garden. They've met with him time and again, and God says, "Where are you?" Now that doesn't mean God didn't know where they were. It's it it is like um, he is saying to them, "Why are you there? Come out and face me." It's sort of the. Maybe a little freer translation of that. Or those of your parents can remember saying to your children, What have you done? And you knew what they had done, but you asked the question anyway. What have you done? That is really what God is saying to Adam and Eve. So God drew Adam out from his hiding, and yet the voice of God is filled with grace, as we shall see in a moment. Notice Adam's response. No admission of wrongdoing. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid. More aware of his nakedness and his shame than his sin, there has been a profound change in Adam and in Eve. They felt fear for the first time. He's a different man. If you look carefully at his words, you now see an Adam who is self-focused and self-centered. And this self-focus and shrinking from God remains part and parcel of our fallen condition. Do you remember when Rick Warren wrote um, the book, and I forget the title of it, but uh, where he said, it's not about you, purpose-driven life, thank you. You know, I wonder how many people read that and said, What? What do you mean it's not about me? It's all about me. No, it isn't. And so as a result of the fall, man is marked by fear, shame, and flight from God. So God addresses the man, the woman, and the serpent in the order of responsibility. To Adam, who told you that you are naked? Have you eaten of the fruit that I told you not to eat? Adam's excuse is he blames Eve and God. Sometimes in our thinking about the text, we we say, well, you know, just like a man blamed his wife, Adam blamed Eve. He didn't just blame Eve, he blamed God. He said, it's this woman that you gave me that caused this uh, to happen. So Adam is passing the buck. These are words of a man who was spiritually dead. He is now spiritually dead In his sin and in his trespasses. What a fall from the words of chapter 2 verse 23. Where Adam said of Eve. Wow. Wow. This is now bone by bones and flesh by flesh. She shall be be called woman for she was taken out of man. Adam is implying in what he says to God. That a better God would not have given him Eve. That's really what he's saying. And that's, that's that's blasphemy. The way he addresses God. So Eve's excuse is to blame the serpent, to blame the snake, to blame Satan. Not any acceptance of blame on the part of either one of them. Um, No contrition that we see at this moment in either Eve or in Adam. Passing the buck. And we still do that. How often do we, how often do we do that? Blame circumstances, blame the way you made me, God, or I'm the victim, or I couldn't help it, or somebody else made me do it, or whatever, 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 when what we really need to do is accept responsibility and ask for forgiveness. We can't get away with passing the buck. James addressed the issue in chapter 1, verse 13, when he said, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. That is what Adam said, you did it, God, by giving me this woman. God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, grown, gives birth to death. So, paradise is lost. That's the next section. So I want to read beginning with verse 14. Then we'll get partially done with that today. Verse 14. So, the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put... Now, one of the greatest verses in the Bible is this 15th verse. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Who is he talking about? The G- Jesus, the coming Messiah. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. Ladies who've had children, you're probably saying, yep, thanks a lot, Eve. <laughs> With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles. I think most of those are in my yard right now. Thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, and for dust you are, and to dust you will return." He placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Okay, we'll see how far we get. Buck passing began in the Garden of Eden. Eve blamed the serpent. Adam blamed Eve and blamed God himself. Death was instantaneous. Not physical death, but spiritual death was instantaneous. In that moment of partaking of the fruit, Adam and Eve died spiritually. And so there is a curse that God pronounces upon first upon Satan and the serpent. Or in reverse order, upon the serpent himself and then upon Satan who controlled the reptile. Now, first of all, in verse 14, the snake, the reptile, is cursed by God. Scripturally... We've read earlier in Genesis, animals were made for man and are, subject, are to be subject to him. Thus, any abuse of that order calls for judgment. And that's exactly what happens. God pronounces judgment upon the snake. There are two places in the Bible where God himself pronounces a curse. Not speaking through a prophet or someone else, but himself verbalizes a curse. One is here, the other we will see soon. When we get to Genesis chapter 4, verse 11, and uh, as God pronounces the curse pun, Cain. So both of those instances are in Genesis. Now, it does not mean, as we think about the serpent crawling, it doesn't mean that he was upright before he did what he did. It doesn't mean he walked around with legs. It simply means physically and symbolically, you are on your belly forever. You tried to exalt yourself, and that will be no more. Now, um, I don't know about you, but I hate snakes. I, I despise them; they're repulsive, they're revolting, and it couldn't be a more revolting image of Satan than snake than a snake. Uh, growing up, where I grew up, we had a a, a creek that ran through our property. And with creeks go water moccasins, and I cannot tell you how many encounters I had as a kid with water moccasins. I hate them, and and I'm scared of them also. They're mean. They will chase you. Did you know that? Most snakes will run away from you, but a water moccasin will come after you if you, if you bug him. So believe me, I don't like them. I don't like snakes. In my opinion, the only good snake is a dead snake. But anyway... I know there's some who do good things like eat rats and all that. But anyway, I I can't stand them. So the snake is cursed. You're going to crawl on your belly. You're going to eat dust forever. And then Satan, who controlled the reptile, is cursed in verse 15. But this is an astounding gospel prophecy. This 15th verse is an astounding gospel prophecy. God's curse upon Satan turns into a word of grace. Here's grace. Grace. Right out of the box in the Old Testament. Some call it the first gospel. The woman's offspring refers to Christ who will crush Satan's head. The direct prophetic word about the coming Messiah. Right here in Genesis chapter 3. This is God's promise to Satan of an individual who is coming, who will engage Him in combat and defeat Him, which is what Jesus did. It's a prophecy of the cross where Satan will strike the heel of Christ as he suffers on the cross or bringing that suffering on the cross, but Christ will strike Satan's head through his death and his resurrection. And all believers participate in in the crushing through Christ. So that Paul could write in Romans chapter 16 and verse 20. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Satan has been defeated. He's been crushed by Christ. God crushed Satan and in the process proclaimed grace through his son. Who crushed Satan by his great work on the cross and the resurrection. Now, um, can you remember a passage of Scripture where uh, Moses is told to put the image of a snake on a pole? Do you remember the story from Numbers 21? Uh, Sir? Look and live. live. Somebody ought to write a song about that. Look and live. When the snakes, the vipers bite you, look, look to the snake, the image of the snake on the pole, and you'll live. Look in faith and you will live. Well, what's that a picture of? Christ on the cross. In fact, it's worded this way by our Lord in John chapter 3. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. That everyone who believes may have eternal life. Lifted up on the cross, we look and we believe and we have eternal life. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, um, yeah, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So we look to Christ, and when we look in faith, we will be saved. Now, look at verse 16. To the woman, he said, two things are going to happen. One has to do with childbearing, the other has to do with marriage. First of all, childbearing, pain invades planet Earth. Maternity and suffering are going to become gonna They're going to be together. Ladies, I know men don't know anything about it. We can't imagine it. We know it's hard. We know it's painful. And it started right here. The curse pronounced upon Eve. So in childbearing, it's going to hurt. And it does. And then in marriage, in, in this 16th verse... He says, your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Now, I'll I'll close with this. In chapter 4, verse 7, that word desire is the same word in chapter 4, verse 7 as it is here. And there it says, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? God speaking to Cain. But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Literally, this word desire means to rule over, and so what the text is saying is that it was the desire of Eve to rule over Adam, but God ordains that The creation order would prevail and that Adam would be the ruler or the leader of the home and rule over his wife. And therefore, strife will persist in domestic relationships over that issue from this day forward. I offer our homes as potential examples. Perfect peace Therefore, is no woman's lot in this world, and man, too, feels the striving and the conflict. But grace will drive the willing soul to God. And that's what we're going to see more of next time. So there's the curse to Eve. God's got something to say to Adam that's not very pleasant. But even as he does, there continues to be a note, a note of grace... And we'll see that note of grace as we continue really all the way through the rest of the Bible. Now, next time, we're going to pick up right there with verse 17 as God now addresses Adam. Um, Adam and Eve. Mm, Okay. Fascinating, fascinating stuff. Fascinating stuff. Now... Next, uh, I'm, fl- Monday, Monday, I'm flying to Haiti with my son, and we're going to do a pastor's conference there as we have for the last number of years. So I'll not be here, uh, next Wednesday, uh, but Dr. Leroy Kemp is going to teach. So, uh, it's going to be better than what I've been offering you. So come and, uh, hear Dr. Kemp as he will be teaching you next Wednesday, and then I'll be back for the following Wednesday, and we'll pick up right there in Chapter 3. And then I don't think I'm going to be out a while, for a while. So I know I've missed a lot lately, but I'm not going to be out for a while after that. Uh, I'd like, like Christian said, I, you know, enough is enough, and I'm going to be ready to stay home for a while. So I'll be here two weeks from today. All right, let's bow together. And again, thanks, Christian, for sharing. If you would like to help Christian, I encourage you to do that. He is an incredible young man, and I I love and appreciate him very much. And so I'm proud of him for uh, taking this opportunity to be an intern uh, across the world for the summer. So uh, certainly pray for him, and if you'd like to help in a tangible way, please do so. Father, thank you for your precious word. Thank you for the note of grace. Thank you for the proclamation of the gospel that we find in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And thank you for the fact that Jesus crushes the head of Satan. And we who know you are victorious in Christ. Bless us as we leave this place today. I pray that you will encourage us and bring us together again next week. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.